0: There is a, a late-night show on NBC that used to be funny called Saturday Night Live. Um, there, was, there was a recurring sketch on Saturday Night Live uh, in the late 80s done by an actor named Dana Carvey um, in, in which he played Enid Strict, better known as the church lady. Are you familiar with the church lady? All right, all right, good, good. The church lady was this, this smug, uptight, uh, supremely self righteous uh, character. She was a sort of talk show host who, who sanctimoniously berated her guests for their sins. Uh, and, and she liked to use comments like, Well, isn't that special? How convenient. And we like ourselves, don't we? I like that one a lot. We like ourselves, don't we? When, when Carvey was asked about the inspiration for the, the church lady, uh, you know, how did you come up with this character? He said he modeled her after some of the busybody ladies in the <coughs> Lutheran church that he attended when, when he was a child. Now, I don't think that, um, you know, real church ladies, or Lutherans uh, are any more judgmental than guys or any other denomination uh, when it comes down to it, um, nor, nor is this kind of judgmental attitude strictly uh, limited to Christians. Um, there was a kind of neat satirical article uh, on October 9th written by, it was in The Spectator, by P.J. O'Rourke. And, um, and he wrote about the purity of the, the woke culture and uh, this new, Puritans, your new Puritanism, um, which kind of shows itself in the uh, a form of being holier than thou on a whole other level uh, of issues. And I say that because judgmentalism and self-righteousness this this thing in us that, that causes us to condemn others, it's not limited to any one group of people. It's something that is in the human fallen nature. Now, as I say that, this judgmentalism is a peculiar problem for us. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, Our mission is to draw people to Jesus. The work that we have is to point them to a Savior. So if we are judgmental and and quick to condemn others, we're we're, we're putting up boundaries and and, and, and oftentimes driving people away. We represent Jesus who died and, and rose for us. And this perception of of condemnation and judgmentalism, A, it runs contrary to who Jesus is, and and B, it repels those people around us rather than drawing people to Jesus. One of the hardest books that I've read recently uh, is is a book by David Kinneman called Unchristian. Uh, Kinneman works well he's the the head of the uh, um, Barna group now and uh, so they did a study and you know what, what are people's attitudes about Christians and it comes down to well Christians aren't very Christian well what do you mean by that he unpacks the whole thing and so when I say it was a hard book it's very accessible It's not the vocabulary or or the concepts that are there. It's hard because it holds up a mirror about some of the things that Christians, you and me, do. That drives people away. And so it's a little bit painful knowing that we're better known for the things that we are against than being known for things like God's love. His mercy for things like like forgiveness. And that's not the first time that this has happened, where the, the, the center of the faith got shifted away from this relationship of God with God that we have because of His love and forgiveness, to a relationship of performance, where God loves us if we do the right things. In fact, that's kind of what Jesus was dealing with when he came. And that's, that's a subtext behind this, this reading that we had today from John chapter 3. You know, in, in our gospel lesson, we met a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now, if you've been in the church for any period of time, you're going to hear that word Pharisee, and you're going to be like, ah, oh, bad guys. Kind of but they really weren't that bad in terms of of, of, the kind of people that they were. In fact, they were probably very morally upstanding and they were the the kind of people that you would want to have as your neighbor in terms of how they acted. Maybe not so much in terms of how their their attitude was when you fell short of the glory of God, but uh, these were, in general, good people. And they wanted to drive people back to the scriptures to teach them how to behave properly. And notice that, because this is what happens. People have this tendency to want to make our faith about behavior. But what did we learn in our Old Testament lesson, in our Epistle lesson, is our relationship with Jesus based on behavior, or is it rooted in faith? What did Abraham learn about these things? He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so his relationship with God, the forgiveness, the salvation, the righteousness that he had was rooted in a relationship of faith, not behavior. Did, did I just say that behavior doesn't matter? I did not. Got to be really clear about that. Because th- this is one of the other things that happens, you know. Oh, your behavior doesn't matter at all. And, and who cares if, you know, you're just completely flaunting God's law. And, you know, Jesus is going to love you anyway. No, we, we have kind of the, these people go off this, the road one side or the other. They either tend to go to some kind of liberalism or, or they go to what we call antinomianism. Uh, which is a fancy way of saying there's no rules. But the reality is that our relationship with Jesus, this relationship of faith that makes us right with God, makes us desire to do the things that God calls us to do, to be the people that he created us to be. These Pharisees, they're, they were the, the, the smug, uptight, supremely self-righteous people of their day. And this is the guy that comes to Jesus. And they're trying to figure him out. They're trying to understand who Jesus is. Now, we know that Jesus is the Messiah. We know that that he is the one, the Savior, that they've been waiting for. But they don't see it because that's not what they expected. You know, when they thought of the Messiah, they... They expected this kind of temporal king to come who would drive out the, uh, the Romans, you know, the, their foreign oppressors and kind of restore a, a, you know, a, an upright community. Everybody is going to behave. And that's not what Jesus did. You know, this is John chapter three. Does anybody know what the beginning of John chapter two is? Jesus turns water into wine. He helped a party go on a little longer. And it was the good stuff. Remember, you know, people always serve the cheap stuff first and then they bring the goods, you know, or the good stuff first and then cheap stuff later. You've saved the best to last. He's not what they expect. But normal people can't do the things that Jesus does. And so they're trying to wrap their mind around it. And so Nicodemus comes to him and he's, he's trying to understand who who Jesus is. And this is this is another one of those things that people do. They they try to make Jesus or they try to make God in their own image. So, well, Jesus is a Republican. No, he's not. He's a Democrat. You know, oh, he's a capitalist. No, he's not. He's a socialist. He you know, he was gentle and and merciful and accepting of everyone. He confronted people and he spoke the truth to power. Jesus was a schizophrenic. (laughs) Or Jesus is himself with his own agenda, with his own kingdom. And we're not called to have him conform to us, but we're called to, by faith, conform to him. For the Pharisees, Jesus was supposed to be the judge who had set everything right. He'd be the one going, mm mm-mm. They were trying to make him in their own image. And he didn't fit their expectations. And so you read this, inter- this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, and it's almost like Jesus is just pushing him in, in these directions to kind of keep him off his footing. And Nicodemus is always like, wait a minute. How can a person be born again? Wait a minute. You know what?" what? And he's like, Jesus says to him, you know, you're a teacher of Israel. And you don't understand these things? I'm talking about earthly things here. How are you going to understand if I even talk to you, begin to talk to you about heavenly things? And, and so he... he He comes, Nicodemus comes with this attitude that he's got everything figured out. He knows what the Messiah is going to be like and and so on and so forth. And Jesus, Jesus is just kind of pulling the rug out from under his feet. Saying your preconceived notions don't limit me. I'm not defined by, by who you think I'm supposed to be. In fact, you're defined by who I am. And I think you and I need to do this little exercise too. And when we look at Jesus, when we look at who God is, when we look at what the Spirit does, do we try to make him in our image? To fit our mold? And really the best way for us to do this is to listen to what he actually says in the word. To read the scriptures. To hear what he says. To see what Jesus does. You and I need this. Because the kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of this earth. We know what it's like to live in this world. We understand the world's principles and its values. They've so deeply influenced us. And sometimes we need a refresher course in what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, to be born from above. That's what it says when it says to be born again, to be born from above, to be a person from God's kingdom, a person from heaven. And what Jesus is doing is he's driving Nicodemus and you and me to get to verse 14, where Jesus talks about being lifted up. That just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, what's he talking about? A serpent being lifted up in the wilderness. If you read in Numbers, in Numbers, the people of God are wandering in the wilderness. God has rescued them from Egypt and they disobey God. And they get the kind of God they've wanted all along, a God of judgment. And he sends fiery serpents to bite them so that they will die. And having received the kind of God that the Pharisees would have wanted, they cry out for God's mercy. And God tells Moses to make a serpent out of bronze and put it on a pole, and everyone who looks upon that serpent will be healed. Have you ever heard a crazier thing? Just look at the snake on the pole and you'll be healed. How's that for your scientific evidence? But there's God's promise look upon the serpent and you will be healed. And they were. And Jesus is saying, that's the model of Messiah that I am in. I will be lifted up. And we know what that's about. Nicodemus didn't. We know that he is talking about being lifted up on the cross, bearing our sin, the symbol of our shame. And when we look upon him with faith, trusting God's promises, we are saved. That's the kind of God he is. And then he moves from there to 16. Everybody knows John 3:16, right? It's the official verse of the NFL. I think it's required every end zone has to have a sign that says John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Notice how quickly it's just, and I, I worry sometimes that that when we say this, it has become so rote to us. Yeah, yeah. God loved the world. Son, die. everlasting life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. And that's part of the reason I've kind of come to really appreciate three, seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so, how do we help the world see that? No, that's too big. Not the world. How do you help your children see that? How how do you help your friends see that? Just 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 one friend. Or a coworker. I I think it starts with what's the image that you have of Jesus when you think of him? Is he a judge that's ready to, you know, kind of smack you down after every misstep? Or 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 is he this, you know, Really nice groovy guy with no expectations and there's no right and wrong and no sin. Those are the extremes. Most of us are somewhere in between, and we kind of back and forth. And I gotta be honest, for me, I think a lot of times it's the judge. I like the rules. I'm good at keeping rules. But if it becomes about rules, guess what you've lost? The love the mercy, the forgiveness. And that's one of the reasons I need to come here over and over and over again to remember, to be reminded, and to receive that love and that mercy and that forgiveness that, that Jesus puts in my baptism and, and, and in his word and in the supper that we're going to receive here in just a little bit. Do you believe that the Son of Man was lifted up for you? And he came not to condemn you, but to save you. To save you. Are you a person that needs to be saved? Because, you know, I've met a lot of Christians. (laughs) I've been one of them. um, Who who just, you know, I'm a good person. I've got it together. I'm doing the thing. My behavior is right. (sighs) Oh, but wait. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need to be saved. Do you look upon Jesus as your last, most desperate hope? Like those Israelites did when they looked at the serpent in the wilderness? There's a painting. It's horrible because I hate snakes. And the Israelites are there and they've been bitten and the... Snake on the pole is up there and there's this mother holding her child pointing toward that serpent like, please look at the snake and be healed. Do we look at Jesus like that? Do we look at our neighbors and say, please look at Jesus on that cross, what he's done for you they might be saved so that they can see God's love, that love that's for you and for them. It's for your children, for your friend, and yeah, indeed, even for the world. Amen.